Hello and welcome to Pull Quotes, a podcast from the Ryerson Review of Journalism. I'm Jacob McNair. And I'm Emily Pardo. Thanks for joining us. This week on the show, we're talking about the word terrorism. From the mass shooting in Las Vegas to the attack in Edmonton, the word terrorism has been all over the news lately. But it's a loaded term with a lot of legal, political, and racial implications. So what is terrorism? And is it a word journalists should even be using? We are going behind the headlines on Pull Quotes. It's been more than a week since one man shot 59 people dead in Las Vegas. It's the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history, at least for the time being. In the days afterwards, there were arguments over how to describe the shooter, a white man named Stephen Paddock, and debate over whether to call the shooting an act of terrorism. The Las Vegas sheriff didn't call it terrorism. This is an individual who was described as a lone wolf. Donald Trump certainly didn't call it terrorism. It was an act of pure evil. So should the media. After all, as many people have pointed out, shooting a machine gun for more than 10 minutes certainly created terror. So sort of technically the key elements in terrorism, primarily the motivation, we don't have in the Las Vegas case. That's Lauren Dawson, the director of the Canadian Network for Research on Terrorism, Security and Society. I talked to him about how he defines terrorism and how acts of terrorism are different from other mass killings. Really, the key element for an act of terrorism is it has to be a, an, an act of violence or a threat of violence done for, in the name of, or to support some kind of ideological or political uh, cause or religious cause. And it's usually done against uh, a group of people in order to leave a legacy of fear or to intimidate some other part of the population to do something. Uh, the kinds of people that engage in these actions are different. The, the point or purpose of the actions is different, even though in the case of the Las Vegas shooting, it's hard to tell what the point of that, you know, uh, maybe we'll never know what the point or meaning was. Wherever as a terrorist act, the person would be wanting us to know exactly what the point of purpose was. They would have left a message behind, uh, you know, contacted people and told them what they were going to do, or they would have announced it right in the act of doing it by talking to media. What we're concerned about in terrorism is what we're concerned about is not individuals necessarily doing something that just causes terror. We're concerned about movements and about uh campaigns or groups of people that are intentionally and somewhat systematically trying to intimidate a society or a group of people in society in order to accomplish something, to have something done. So it's an act of coercion. The terror is just the means used to achieve a political end, right? And But in the case of a mass shooter, the act itself is the end. Lorne talks about why we should distinguish terrorists from other mass shooters. But as our next guest points out, the label terrorist still has racial implications that we can't ignore. Khaled Beydoun is a law professor at the University of Detroit Mercy. After the Vegas shooting, he wrote a Washington Post piece about our double standards when it comes to white shooters. He talked to Jacob on the phone from Detroit. What did you see in the media coverage after the Vegas shooting? 
Yeah, so I, I you know noticed immediately that the media coverage for Las Vegas was radically different than the media coverage, um, you know, after a, an attack that was committed by a Muslim or a Middle Eastern culprit, uh, largely because of the racial identity of Stephen Paddock. Um, you know, being a white male, um, you had uh, first, you know, law enforcement, the sheriff in Las Vegas, uh, designated him as a localer, somebody who was a known commodity uh, as a gambler in Las Vegas. Um, you know, local, uh, in this instance, would be, uh, you know, a presumption of uh, disconnection, no no affiliation with any kind of terror network uh, or terror ideology. Now, when you compare that to an incident involving uh, a Muslim or a Middle Eastern culprit, you know, we talk about Orlando, for instance, or uh, San Bernardino, Bernardino from several years ago, um, even where there's really weak, really precarious evidence linking those individuals, Malik, in the two uh, culprits in San Bernardino to terrorism, uh, law enforcement quickly jumps to the conclusion that uh, terrorism is a you know is a uh, stark and strong possibility, and then the media obviously uh, carries forward with that narrative. So it's more than just media coverage. Uh, media kind of follows the dictate of uh, how lo local law enforcement is framing, uh, you know, the act of possibly being terrorist or not, and you know it oftentimes trickles down to the racial and religious identity. Of the culprit. We, we talked recently to Lorne Dawson, who's the director of the Canadian Network for Research on Terrorism, Security, and Society. And uh, this is the key part of the definition of terrorism that he gave. It has to be done in the name of or in support of some sort of ideological or political cause, which um, so far we don't have in the Vegas case. Do you think that's relevant when it comes to defining whether or not this is an act of terrorism? Yeah, I definitely do. And here's stateside. So in the U.S., there's multiple definitions of terrorism that are used by different government agencies. There isn't kind of one consensus definition. Uh, the Patriot Act, which was enacted after 9-11, has its own specific designation, which is tied to international terror. We have the U.S. Criminal Code, which focuses more on, uh, you know, again, this connection to some sort of political ideology or political network. Yeah, so I mean... I, I agree with the idea that this very well might not be uh, an act of terror, right? But um, what I grapple with in the article in the Washington Post and, you know, kind of uh, grapple with more broadly is the idea that let's not just, you know, preclude the possibility. You know, let's not dismiss the possibility of terror just because this individual is white, right? And, not, and let's not jump to the conclusion that it is terror activity. Um, when the culprit is Middle Eastern or Muslim, this is what I, this is what I, this is what underlies kind of this broader debate. Um, you know, aside from the technical kind of analysis of whether it qualifies as a terror act, is you know the conclusions that are made, the presumptions that are assigned um, based on the r uh, racial and religious identity of the individual. Have you seen the public perception or the me media's portrayal of terrorism change over your lifespan? Yeah, you know, terrorism is a is a fluid phenomenon. When I was younger, you know, in the 80s, primarily terrorism was linked to the Soviet Union. It was more tied to nation states and the uh, the activity of a specific empire that was at odds with the United States. That shifted in the 90s, obviously, with this, you know, growing preoccupation with, quote-unquote, um, Muslim extremism and so on, following the decline of the Cold War, um, you know, tied to transnational terror networks. Um, and then, obviously, after 9-11, uh, there's been the United States, and even globally, I think, um, almost exclusive fixation on um, Islamic radicalization or Muslim terror, however you want to frame it. Um, so that's, you know, kind of been the exclusive concern of the state. 
here stateside in the United States, and also in other states, Europe and so on. However, because of this exclusive fixation on this sliver of terror, and I'm not dismissing dismissing the idea that there are um, you know, Muslim, uh, deviant Muslim elements that engage in, you know, violence and terror and so on. But in addition to that, we shouldn't neglect the idea that there are other forms of terrorism. Um, you know, obviously in the United States, we have real concern with white supremacist organizations, racist elements, separatist elements, um, individuals who are really brazen, um, about breaking away from the country and so on. And much, much of them are, um, white and much of, much of them are led by white males. Um, so definitely, yeah, terrorism is a fluid phenomenon. It changes. But, you know, terrorism is really heterogeneous. But what we see here is um, with regard to, uh, you know, the counterterror concern in the United States is that it's solely fixated on Muslims. So what responsibility do journalists have when they're talking about terrorist attacks or mass shootings? Yeah. Well, I'm not a journalist, so, I, you know, I, I don't want to be paternalistic and, you know, make assignments as to what journalists should do. Um, but... If I were to make a suggestion, I would say that, look, I think it's important to kind of think about terrorism as a racially and religiously kind of blind and neutral um, sort of act, right? We shouldn't make, um, you know, again, ties or connections based on race or religion. We should assess it based on, um, you know, the, the scale of harm, the scale of violence that's inflicted, and then try to identify if there's some sort of um, you know, ideology, some sort of like political motive that the individual has. That's that's my preferred definition of terrorism, is that um, you don't have to be connected to an organization per se, um, but you have to be driven by a specific, um, you know, kind of political worldview and motive that drives you to commit uh, a really heinous act. So to kind of yield from um, just talking about terrorism and running with that narrative, when the culprits um, are brown or Muslim. There was a recent editorial by Masha Gessen which argued that using terms like terrorist itself gives a kind of power and glamour to the perpetrator of an attack. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think that individuals like Paddock are looking to make a point. We can see from the facts that we do have on hand that this was premeditated, uh, that he took a lot of time thinking about and you know preparing for what he did on Sunday night. Um, that he wanted some sort of reaction, right? He wanted to, you know, carry out some sort of objective. Um, so th that terrorism tag, you know, that terrorism label, I think, um, you know, adds some sort of legitimacy that, uh, you know, the uh, the objective of the culprit, like Paddock, you know, was intended to frighten people, intimidate people, or bring about some sort of maybe political objective or, you know, idiosyncratic kind of aim. But the sad reality is that, you know, kind of in the popular imagination, people think about terrorism as a synonym for um, Muslims and Islam. Do you think that because there are these various competing uh, definitions of terrorism, both in, like as a legal term and in colloquial language, do you think that it might be better for the media to just step away from the word entirely? No, no, I don't think so. I think the media can be you know, a really important kind of, um, you know, counteractor um, to grapple and kind of test, uh, you know, the state's use of the term terrorism. You know, for instance, why do we have to, you know, abide by, you know, what the state, whether the United States or Canada, the government, um, how they go about defining terrorism? Obviously, they have a politicized kind of um, objective in the way they, um, you know, use and deploy the term. But I think the media can kind of be, you know, a really critical 
and neutral arbiter for offering uh, newer definitions that, that aren't tied to specific, um, you know, anti-terror, counter-terror objectives, um, that aren't tied to, you know, specific administration's um, foreign policy objectives or domestic uh, policy objectives. Um, I don't think that the media necessarily has to just, you know, dogmatically abide by the definitions. And, uh, you know, again, really ambiguous, conflicting, and precarious definitions of terrorism that are used by the state. So, you know, again, I'm not meaning to be paternalistic, but I would recommend that the media really challenges how the state is using other terms. That was Khaled Beydoun, a law professor at the University of Detroit Mercy. Canada has also been grappling with the term terrorism. A day before the Vegas shooting, there was an attack in Edmonton when a Somali man plowed a car through a barricade and into a police officer. Police found an ISIS flag in the car and were quick to say they suspected the attack as an act of terrorism. Earlier this year, a young white man shot and killed six people at a mosque in Quebec City. The mayor, the premier, and the prime minister all called it an act of terrorism. But what's interesting about these Canadian attacks is that neither of the perpetrators have actually been charged with terrorism. Here's Lauren Dawson again with his thoughts on why. Yeah, there's two things. I think it's partially because it, it is hard to prove motivation. And then if you've got a strong case already, why weaken your legal case by adding a charge that can be uh, more easily attacked or refuted by the defense? Because if you... Uh, bring the charge and you can't sustain the charge, then, of course, the defense could st- could start to reverse the entire case. And, you know, as a prosecutor, you don't want to do that. There's an additional component here that the uh, Crown attorneys in Canada and prosecutors in the States are aware of, and that is that uh, research in terrorism has shown that there's a very poor correlation between just talking about radical ideas and actually engaging in some kind of violent action. So contrary to what we think, there's no doubt about it that almost everybody who commits a terrorist act has been talking about very radical extreme ideas beforehand, but only a tiny percentage of the people who do the talking actually commit an act. And so if the only evidence you have of someone's motivation is things they've said, it can be demonstrated through scientific evidence that that's not a very reliable indicator that they actually meant to engage in uh, in an action. So uh, you need more than just they were talking. You need some kind of uh, sustained evidence that they were involved in long discussions with people, multiple people were involved, that they'd been reading a lot of literature, that they had maybe actually been engaging in careful preparation. So what do you think is even the point of the terrorism charge in general? Yeah, this has been asked a lot. And to tell you the truth, a lot of what is covered by terrorism charges just is a repeat of stuff that already exists in the criminal code. If you're going to engage in a violent action or a threat of violence, or you're conspiring to commit uh, violence or to threaten people with violence, that's already covered in the criminal code. And so in truth, most of the time, you don't need a terrorism charge. And a lot of our terrorism charges grew out of 9-11 and the response to 9-11 when all these anti-terrorism uh, legislation came into being. 
And in a way, it was like a political act to say, we're not going to tolerate terrorism. We're going to fight terrorism. We're going to stand strong and protect our people. So you created all this legislation, uh, anti-terrorism legislation. But intrinsically, most of it just replicates stuff that's already in the criminal code. And I think maybe what we're starting to see is that the actual prosecutors are realizing that and saying, why are we going through all this bother? We're just making this whole process way more complicated than it has to be. It's a crime. Let's treat it as a crime and treat the person as a criminal. The terrorism charges really have more of a kind of political, symbolic value for the most part in terms of this sort of pronouncement that the society is opposed to terrorism, that it's going to stand in solidarity against terrorism. If people being called terrorists aren't actually being charged with terrorism, that could make the label even more dangerous. I talked to the Toronto Star's race and gender columnist, Sri Paradkar, about how she sees the term terrorism being used here in Canada. I think the problem that occurred this week was the speed, and and this has happened over and over again, but it was thrown into stark relief, is the speed at which a Muslim would get labeled a terrorist, right? Like even before all the facts come out. So in the case of the Edmonton um, man, he had an ISIS flag, um, sure, but does that make him a terrorist? Could he have been mentally ill? And, you know, saying to himself, well, you know, I don't know what his life experiences have been. I mean, was there any kind of investigation that talked about what inspired him? Um, Or can anybody look up ISIS online, uh, decide that, oh, they really like that group and have a flag and then go into people and then be called terrorists? You know, and then the same thing happened with the uh, white supremacist who shot down the Muslims in the Quebec mosque. And he he had definite leanings towards, you know, white supremacist groups. Um, but he wasn't quickly labeled terrorist by outsiders. Now, I know in Canada, people were, the prime minister was quick to call that terrorism. But that didn't happen um, outside of Canada as quickly. So there is a hypocrisy. And I think that's the, the, it's the hypocrisy that is the problem right now. And do you think there's a difference between Canada and the United States in how quickly those labels get slapped on? has been different because um, Canada was careful to, if, if we labeled this one terrorism, the one in Edmonton terrorism, we also did the same thing with the Quebec mosque uh, shooting. Uh, so this year was different. But in the media, I don't necessarily see that difference uh, because so much of Canadian media takes from, say, the Associated Press or news agencies that are um, American-based. So the message that percolates is pretty much what America has. Terrorism is, of course, also a legal term. It's a specific criminal charge that needs very clear proof of intent. Right now, um, neither the Edmonton attacker nor the Quebec mosque shooter have actually been charged with terrorism, even though the, the word has been applied to both of them. And part of the reason might be that the punishment for mass murder on its own is already the most severe in the criminal code. The only thing that terrorism charges do is add the complexity of having to really prove that motive. With that in mind, should that affect how the media talks about these kinds of acts? Should we call them terrorist attacks even if charges haven't been laid? 
Yeah, that's a really good question about um, should we call them terrorists. I mean, I think terrorist is a libelous term. And, you know, unless it is proven in court that it is an act of terrorism, I don't think we should be using it at all if we want to use it legally. There is an argument to be made that anybody who shoots a mass of people is inflicting terror, and therefore it's an act of terrorism. Uh, if that's the um, yardstick we want to apply, then fine, then call everybody terrorist. But if we want to apply a legal yardstick, then we shouldn't be able to use that term unless it is proven in court that that, was the, that, that really was the intent. So if, if those are the two options, which do you think would be better, the approach that everyone who causes terror is a terrorist, or the approach that we don't use the word terrorist at all unless it's been someone's actually been convicted on that charge? My preference would be, I don't know, in the language, it would it, it is inflicting terror and it is an act of terrorism. Can we separate the politics from it? Well, I would say don't call anyone terrorist unless you know that it was an act of terrorism. We could, you know, it's violent, it's mass shooting, it is uh, murder. Um, there are so many ways to describe it without bringing the political angle into it unless it is known to be a political angle. You know, unless there is a note left behind or some plan of a conspiracy like 9-11, that there is a terrorist group that conspired to plan this. But lone wolf versus lone wolf, one has a flag, one has thoughts in his head. I don't know what the motive is. Yeah, I, I would say don't call anyone a terrorist unless we know that they are a terrorist. Broadly speaking, what do you think is the media's responsibility in responding to these kinds of events? I believe the media has to be really able to be honest, take a back, take a step back, and cover all acts of violence with uh, equality. Uh, what has happened instead is that acts of violence that are inflicted by Muslims get far more media coverage than those that are not. And as a result, I can't blame people for thinking that terrorism is something that is mostly inflicted by Muslim people on um, non-Muslims. But the fact is that is simply not true. There are, you know, out of, what was it, 89 attacks in the U.S. between 2012 and 2015, only 12 were actually carried out by Muslims. Now, this might be a high proportion, perhaps, but the amount of media focus that the Muslim attacks got was 4.5 times more, right? So it is, um, you know, and likewise in Europe as well. You know, there's, a, there's Europol data that shows that separatist terrorism in, the, in Europe ha is the, accounts for the largest proportion of the... Uh, 211 attacks in the EU in 2015. Um, and jihadist attacks are also on the right, and as well as right-wing attacks. But which is, you know, if you think about terrorism in Europe or in the US or Canada, what group do we all think about? And why do we do that? Because that's because of the amount of attention it gets from the media. I mean, the problem right now is, how did we rush to call this man in Las Vegas, a lone wolf. How does he get um, 
a headline from the Washington Post that says he lived a quiet life. He gambled and he lived this quiet life. And he was his his um, girlfriend says he was a nice, quiet man. Why does the um, accused Somali refugee in Edmonton not have anybody being able to say, but he was such a nice guy? You know, he is not humanized at all. He's just a bad guy. Whereas somebody who can have, you know, ammunition fit for a militia can shoot down people and still, even before all the facts come out, be seen in that softer lens. And I think we really need to, as media, think about the hypocrisy of what we are doing. So, um, again, even in Canada, when we're not just pulling stories from the Associated Press, you do see those same patterns. Yes, definitely. I mean, um, I think we are starting to question it a little bit more. But if I look at the media coverage, I mean, in you know, when a van plows down uh, people in uh, Finley Park, at the Finley Park Mosque in London, our headlines too said van hit pedestrians. And when a Muslim guy um, plows down people at the Westminster Bridge, it's like Muslim guy does it. And he's plowing down, whereas in the other case, it's just a van that hits people, not a white driver in a van plowing down people. So there are these subtle differences in not only the scale of um, attack, but also the quickness to identify. Because in saying a Muslim man has plowed down people, we are immediately able to damn an entire group. And it it has become code for, my God, more of this violence from these um, retrograde, backward people who are enemies of the West. And in just saying a van hit people, there's something um, accidental about it. You know, there's something kind of innocent, or if it is not innocent, it's a one-off thing. And that one-offness of it always becomes that lone wolf. And so you say uh, you see it beginning to shift a little bit. Uh, what do you think is the cause of that shift? I'd say social media, the fact that people on the other side are starting to uh, call it out. And since there are so many journalists on Twitter or you know, watching online forums such as Facebook, then they're able to see, if they are open-minded enough, they're able to see what it is that people on the other side are saying. So those who are open are able to sort of start questioning it and saying, hey, are we doing the right thing here? Or at least try to give explainers as to what is terrorism and what is not terrorism. But there are plenty of journalists who um, have no time for this, and they call it what it is. In fact, I wrote a story once saying that we shouldn't be calling terrorist, Islamic, or Islamist, or whatever. And there are plenty of journalists who feel that that is uh, disingenuous. But these are the same people who will not call a white person terrorist because, I don't know, I can't explain it. So what kinds of things should journalists keep in mind when they're going to report on a violent act like this? I I would say report on the facts. You know, as you see them, uh, if you uh, end up in Las Vegas, you report on what you see. Um, If you feel it's necessary to mention the uh, race or gender or um, ethnicity of the shooter, if it's relevant to the the crime, then mention it. Um, Labeling it as an act of terrorism or a lone wolf or a mentally ill thing is something that can only come up after investigations have been made. So certainly I would insert a line saying it's not known at the moment whether this was an act of terrorism or whether this person was mentally ill. And meanwhile, mentally ill is something that is only asked when a white person is involved. 
you know, I would like that question to be asked for anybody, whether you're white or not. You could just be, a, you know, a person with mental health issues. You, could, you may not be representing um, any kind of political ideology, although you may think you appreciate one style of working. So, yeah, I think, you know, just apply a lens that does not discriminate. Okay, so that's our show for this week. Thanks so much for joining us here on Pull Quotes. The show is written, produced, and edited by Laura Howells, Jacob McNair, and myself, Emily Pardo. Executive producers are Sonia Fata and Stephen Trumper. Technical support by Angela Glover. Pull Quotes is a production of the Ryerson Review of Journalism. You can check out more stories on our website at rrj.ca. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.